A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by BetterHelp. BetterHelp is a mental health platform that provides direct online counseling and therapy services via web or phone text communication. You don't even need to use flu powder in order to access a therapist through BetterHelp. I think we can all tell in book five that if you keep your feelings bottled up, it can start to affect you negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off of your chest if you don't have access to Dumbledore's office. I know in my life, therapy has helped me identify patterns to help me interrupt ones that I don't feel like are healthy and find better ways to cope. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash sacred text today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash sacred text. Chapter 21, The Tale of the Three Brothers. Harry turned to look at Ron and Hermione. Neither of them seemed to have understood what Xenophilius had said either. The Deathly Hallows? That's right, said Xenophilius. You haven't heard of them? I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Caspar Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. A big thanks to our patrons, and I am going to try and pronounce your names right. Forgive me if I don't. But we've got this week Amy Otra, Mary Gilcoin, Chanel Chawalit, Melora Cochran, and MJ to thank for our fabulous, fabulous patron support. Thank you all. And a big shout out to our local group in Ottawa, Canada, The Crups, the Carlton Readers Unconventional Potter Society run by Kayla Dold. And if your local group is still running during COVID and you haven't had a shout out yet on the podcast, please send us an email at harrypottersacredtext at gmail.com and we will be so glad to lift you up in song or at least, you know, at the beginning of the podcast. Casper, it's your turn to tell the story through the theme of dreams. What have you got for us today? So many kids have very scary nightmares that involve like absurd, maybe like creature-based terrifying things that chase you. There's often a lot of activity, the scenery that's rushing past. As a kid, for me, my nightmares were just this disembodied voice at the end of my bed 
just talking very calmly. And it wasn't that the voice was saying anything specific. It was just just this disembodied voice. And I still don't fully understand what that dream was about, but I sure know that I didn't like it. So I started maybe when I was like eight or nine, I would start listening to the radio to fall asleep. I listened to, to talk radio about sports. Then later I would listen to like Nora Jones albums on repeat because when I listened to something, I would wake up and have zero memory of dreaming. I might have dreamed, I don't know, but like zero memory. And so for most of my life, I have always fallen asleep with music. And one of the really interesting things for me has been reflecting what that kind of pushing of dreams away was about. And I think a lot of it for me is about the sense of control and not not wanting to kind of let in something that's subconscious or something that kind of like can shape my experience that I don't get to dictate how and when it comes into my life. And I think dreams are in some ways a sort of uncontrollable portal, right? We don't know what we're going to see or hear or experience. And so to some extent, they are a portal into a world of unknowns, a portal into potential joy. Like I've never had a flying dream. People love those, but I've also no longer had really scary dreams. So there's something interesting to me and something dangerous to me about dreams that I want to explore today. Yeah, and I'm also interested in the two completely diametrically opposed definitions of dreams. One is something that you completely can't control, that you have at night, that overwhelms you. And the other is like a future that you want to happen and that you give up everything (laughs) to make happen. It is so interesting to me that we have the same word for those two completely, nearly opposite things. Huh. Okay, cool. Let's dig into that. But first, it's time for a 30-second recap. Sure is. Vanessa, this this chapter has an action sequence, and I know how you love those. So why don't you go first with our 30-second recap? It also has like a fable, and I love those. So count me in. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, fable. So Xenophilus is like, Hermione, can you read the story? And she reads the story, and it's about three brothers, and there's an elder wand, and there's an invisibility cloak, and there's a resurrection stone. And she's like, that's not real, though. And he's like, isn't it, though? And they're like, ooh, Harry does have an invisibility cloak. And then all three kids say that they would want something different, and Hermione makes the right choice, as always. <laughs> and um, and then it it turns out that Xenophilus called the Death Eaters to come, and um, they the Humplecorn Snark Act thing uh, explodes. And um, Hermione is like, Xenophilus. Don't kill the Zinophilus and they disapparate. I didn't do great at the end there. I, you know, it was a solid foundation. Mm, okay, can you can you do the end? Yeah, will you count me in? Yeah, happily. On your mark, get set, go. So Xenophilus keeps looking out of the window. We learn about the three Peveril brothers and um, the way in which they t- try to escape death. But the third one is smart and like takes the cloak and is like, fine, I don't need Elder Wand. I don't need Memory Stone. Um, you know, the thing. And um, then... Uh, Hermione puts together an incredible escape routine. She's a sort of modern day Houdini, you would say. Um, She wants to be discovered because the Death Eaters come. She wants to make sure that Xenophilus is proved right. So she obliviates him, goes through the floor, that they see them, and then they apparate, disapparate. It's an incredible escape moment. Ugh. So Casper, let's actually start with the most important thing that we missed, which is... (laughs) That we see Luna's beautiful mural, her like iconic mural. Yes. And it's a mural of Neville, Ginny, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. So like the other members of the like two trios are five stars, if you will. And it has this like design all around it where it says friends. 
And I think that this really speaks to both kinds of dreams, right? She's doing exactly what I think you were doing by Mm. playing radio or Nora Jones. She wants to fall asleep with this being the last image. But also, I think she is talking about a dream she has where these five people are really close to her and that she wants to actualize. And I think it's a commitment. I'm going to show up to be friends with these five people. I'm going to probably get arrested to be friends with these five people, right? It might be this mural that helped give her the courage to be as outspoken as she was. You remember last week I blessed Luna for painting kind of everyday objects in this like Vanessa Bell kind of way. And I I love that we see a continuation of that in her own room. I think there's something about dreams that is very private. It's very internal. And so I love that she's brought those faces to a very intimate space, right, to her bedroom, that this is a place that she can decorate. And I wonder if there's something that relates to how we put up posters of pop stars or sports stars or whatever, especially when we're young people, like that. These are kind of heroes to her. I mean, she's put those chains of the word friends between them, but she's not among them. I wonder to some extent, you know, if she stands these these five friends that she sees herself as connected to, but maybe not part of the friendship group in the way that I would originally have read this passage and that there's something, a distance between her and these people that she's put on the wall. That just struck me that she's not amongst them in some way. Yeah, I do think it's sad that she didn't paint herself into it. It gets juxtaposed quite quickly, the photo on the bedside table of her and her mom, right? And she's in that photo. It's not a photo of her mom. It's a photo of the two of them hugging together. A really sad potential reading of the mural is that she counts the five of them as friends to one another, but doesn't, right? There's sort of like this chain around them that like they're friends and it's aspirational for her to like break into that friend group, but Mm. that she doesn't necessarily see herself as part of it yet. Mm. Or that she, you know, who knows? It could also be a positive reading, right? It could also be that she sees herself being part of that chain because she's in the room when she's seeing them. And so she is part of it. You know what suddenly strikes me, Vanessa, you pointed us to that portrait of or or the photograph of Luna with her mother. And of course, one of the first most important facts about Luna that we learn in the books is that she has lost her mother. And that's why she's able to see the Thestrals. And it's interesting to me that we don't see a large mural of her mother in the place where we have these friends. It connects to me with the resurrection stone, that sense of the danger of pulling forth maybe the people that we've loved who have passed constantly into the presence of our everyday. And so I'm suddenly seeing the other element of what we talked about with dreams, that sense of hope or the sense of a goal that you want to work towards, that maybe these five faces shining down from, you know, the ceiling or the wall, wherever they are, is also an invitation for Luna to keep orienting herself around the living and around the future and around people that will become friends rather than her mother, who she loves deeply, no doubt, but doesn't want to center grief. She wants to center that hope. Yeah, it's a mural instead of the mirror of Erised, right? That's right. Dumbledore actually says it doesn't do to dwell on dreams. And it feels like a lesson that Luna has taken into her heart. She's not dwelling on the dreams of her mother, right? That's by her bedside. But instead, she's dwelling on this other kind of actualizable dream, not a mirror of Erised dream, but like an aspirational one. Totally. Vanessa, I do want to ask you, because I've been to your house, obviously, and you have such a lovely practice of hanging up photographs of your friends on your wall. 
not just on like on the fridge, but like you have really beautiful kind of collections of, of framed pictures of people that you love. And so how do you think about what those images mean, like the presence in the everyday? What do those photographs mean to you? Yeah, I always assume that I'm going to like outgrow that, that like as an adult, you don't hang up pictures of your friends. But I think I do it for two reasons. One, it makes me happy, right? Like most of the photos I have are candid photos. So it's like of moments that are like, just like very sweet and make me happy to think of. But I also really love the moments where my friends come over and see themselves on my wall. And, you know, it became really important to me with photos of the girls. Like I have a photo of the girls on my side of the bed and it's the only photo that I have on my side of the bed. And it's so important to me that they see themselves You know, I have them as the background of my phone. It makes me happy to see their faces on the background of my phone. But also I know it means a lot to them to see themselves the background of my phone. And I think that all of us have that where we like, I I like that my friends see that I cherish them. There's a gross part of it, right? Where I like look at my wall and I'm like, Am I missing they someone count? who really matters? <laughs> Is this person never going to come over? So should they come down? <laughs> like Luna stops. Like, it's not the whole DA that's up there. But that in itself, I think, is a healthy question, but also because some friendships will grow and change and some friendships ebb away and end. And that's normal. And I think that's part of what makes friendships feel alive is that they have space to grow and change. And One of the images that really struck me thinking about this beautiful image is that those little chains of the word friends are kind of like a double helix of DNA. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like a life force that's going in this friendship. And I can imagine that in 10 years time when they've all left school, right, some of them may still be there. And I hope that there'll be new ones for Luna and that it's this living space just like yours of nearly an altar of friendship and and family. And I love that you bring those two together so closely. Another place that I really want us to think about in this chapter is the three brothers. I mean, we learn about the tale of the three brothers. That's the core information that we learn in this chapter. But there's all sorts of interesting parallels that are drawn. And you pointed to one of them in your 30 second recap, where when the trio are like, well, it's obvious which one's the most important one. Each one of them chooses a different hallows. Ron chooses the Elder Wand, Harry chooses the Remembrance Stone, and Hermione chooses the cloak, the invisibility cloak. And so I want us to think about what the dreams are, not only of the three brothers initially when they're trying to escape death, but also what this means for the trio and the dreams that they have for their life. Oh, it's so funny. I'm curious if you and I are going to disagree about this because it's so obvious to me. Ron dreams of power. I don't think in a bad way, right? Just like the ability to be the best. Like he's one of six brothers and like he wants to dominate in some way. He wants to stand Mm. out in some way. Hermione wants to like sneak around and do good things. (laughs) And I think there are times that she wishes that like her body wasn't getting in the way of things, right? It wasn't the fact that she was a girl. It wasn't the fact that she was herself, but like she could just sneak in and out of things and do good. You mean like the library's restricted section? (laughs) Exactly. And then, I mean, Harry misses his parents and wishes that he had mentors who were still alive. He's lost every single one. I mean, the first thing he says is, Like we could have Sirius back. Mm. He has such longing for family. And so I think that these are all about dreams of what they feel is missing in their lives. Well, this is where it gets really interesting to me because in part, I think Harry chooses the stone because he already has the cloak. 
And I wonder if this would be different if he didn't have the cloak, because so much of Harry's life is about being visible. And we know how much being invisible has has given him just tactically, but I also think metaphorically, that's part of what he dreams of is a life that is normal. And what I love about Hermione choosing the cloak is that she really appreciates what she has. And that's the classic, we already talked about the mirror of Erised, but like finding joy in the thing that we do have is actually the most sustainable joy we can find. Because one of the really difficult things with dreams that we should talk about, and I think Augustine is able to point to this so much, is that we will always want more. That is part of the human condition, is that you'll have a dream, you'll achieve it, and suddenly it's not as interesting. Now we want the next thing. It's very, very difficult to cultivate that appreciation. And so that's what I love about Hermione's dream here. Now, it's easy to say and so hard to do, and I think is the danger of dreams. I love that reading of Hermione. I think that she is the one of the three that appreciates what she has. I disagree with your reading about Harry, though. We know he got the invisibility cloak and the first thing he did with it was go to the mirror of Erised and he just wanted to stare at his parents forever. He appreciates what he doesn't have and what Hermione is able to take for granted, which is having Mm. parents who she got 18 years with. And so I do think Harry would give up the cloak in a heartbeat for 10 minutes with his parents. The thing that's interesting for me, and I do find that compelling, in the story of the three brothers, the second brother who chooses to bring back the dead, and for him it's a woman that he loves, it tortures him and he ends up taking his own life in order to be with her. So in the story is the warning of what happens if if we choose the stone, and yet Harry still chooses the stone. It, it just seems such a high risk to me. It's the belief that he could use it better. Which is something that we all think about our dreams, right? Mm. It's, I want a lot of money. And even though I see that money doesn't make people happy, I'm like, no, no, no. But I would use the money well. I would buy a house for my parents. You know, like, Mm. even though we know the resurrection stone isn't going to make you happy. Money isn't going to make you happy. Being skinnier isn't going to make you happy. We're like, no, 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 no. But it'll make me happy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And, And if we think about the three brothers... The story, of course, is about escaping death, which has such a strong parallel with Voldemort. The one brother chooses power. One brother chooses, I guess, like memory or something. And the other brother, in some way I'm thinking about it, is time. And there's a choicefulness about it and an acceptance. And and I'm wondering the dreams that we have about time. I'm thinking a lot about this during coronavirus. It's like, I'm sure we all had all sorts of plans for this year that just haven't happened And it's been very easy for me to be like, okay, let's just write off 2020. We'll start again where we were in 2021. But Lord knows what's going to happen next year. And so trying to not think of this as like time that I'm writing off, but like trying to find some elements in this time that are sweet and good. It's hard, but there's something about a relationship to time and dreams that I think is really interesting in that third brother. Yeah. I mean, I love the idea of what he's choosing as a life of anonymity in order to have more time. There's something about living the life in front of you and not the life that's constantly about dreams and constantly about striving that, yeah, is just much more fulfilling. 
a fun practice that I've I've done a couple of times, which sounds a little bit morbid, but honestly is is refreshing, is taking the time to write your own obituary. Oh, I've done that too. It's one of those great reframing or memento mori tools that help us appreciate what we have and the time that is to come by imagining, well, what if, you know, this was our last day and, and what would be the story of my life if, if it was written in a local newspaper or something? Because then suddenly the rest of the time that we have is a gift rather than an expectation. Maybe that's what this encounter with death was for that third brother. He was like, oh, this could have been the end. How will I live my life now? Oh, that's beautiful. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason, you can't get back to Grimmauld Place, so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. So, Casper, there's somewhere else where I really see the heartbreak of dreams. Mm. And that is with Xenophilius' dream to be reconnected with Luna. Yeah. And he is willing to do anything we find out. He is willing to have them come and try to sell them a weird horn. And he's willing to go against all of his previous values, right? He's been telling the world to support Harry and he's like, I'll freaking turn him in. Mm. And I think that you think you have dreams of, Mm. you know, supporting Harry Potter and then your daughter gets taken from you and you're like, nope, there's only one thing that matters and I will do anything. And it allows for people to behave really horribly in a lot of ways. And yet I can't get myself to judge it, especially when it's about another person's life. That is when I absolutely just cannot condemn someone who's like every other moral I've ever had. I don't care. Any other sense of self-preservation I've ever had. I don't care. I have one dream and it's the only thing that matters. And it is 
this person being safe. And to some extent, I feel like Xenophilius would not have done this if he himself was at risk. It's about the love he has for Luna. And you can see in the house, it's just the two of them. And so there is an intensity about that relationship that is so strong. And honestly, part of me sees this as like your friendship wall dialed up to 100. To know that your parent would do this for you, it's such an expression of love, right? However wrong it is, like... So I I do completely agree with you that this is not something that we can hold against Xenophilius or something. And in fact, even the way in which he's occupying their time ends up being extremely useful. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... I mean, he sees it as his fault. He was just, he was being brave and he was being good, but he was printing things that the ministry didn't like and it didn't occur to him that he was risking his daughter. I think that, of course, he wouldn't be doing this if it was a risk to him. He thought he was at risk. He was printing these pamphlets completely aware that he could be picked up for it. But it never occurred to him that they would play so dirty that they would pick up a student and his daughter. This was not in his calculated risk. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we just lose ourselves, right? That is when we're, it's like, oh, I I am now outside of myself because I'm outside of the realm of things that I have ever considered possible. You just said a phrase that was another element in this chapter that I wanted to talk about, which is it's outside of the realm of what I consider possible. Because I think this is where dreams are so important, that we have the capacity to imagine better, to, to see a world that doesn't yet exist, but that could be when we can actually see how a justice system would work that would not need uh, the kind of incarceration that we have now, that we can imagine a sustainable infrastructure of food and transport, that we can imagine a healthcare system where everyone is treated equally and well. If we can't imagine it, if we can't dream those things, then we can't build strategies towards them. And so there's something very powerful about having dreams and the most dangerous thing I think that can happen is when a state or or a corporation or whatever power system shuts down the capacity to have those dreams. And that's what the control of the press is about in this case, right? The reason why they're coming after Xenophilius is because he's printing a newspaper that helps people to dream. That's why the illegal radio station is so powerful, because it's helping people to dream of a world beyond Voldemort. And it's why Voldemort is cracking down on those dream defenders, as it were, or dream keepers. And I think that we see the benefit of a practice of that kind of thinking and dreaming with Hermione, right? Mm. Hermione is constantly thinking about how the world can be better. And I was like, how selves don't have to live like this. And we don't have to be afraid of werewolves, right? She is trying to will that dream into existence. And then I think that in this moment of absolute and utter chaos, she comes up with a really complicated strategic plan to- Oh my God. Make Ron invisible, right? Like Ron is supposed to have Spattergroy at home. She like doesn't want to ruin that story. But she wants them to see Harry so that they don't torture Xenophilius. And she's like, I'm going to will this story into existence. And I think that that is a practice that she has, right? She's like, I see a peaceful end to this. Let's make it happen. I think that these are tiny interventions that we have to do all the time of seeing something happening on the street and not calling the police or not knowing exactly what word to say. And so like not saying anything and then going and reading about what word is going to do the least violence to people. Right. Like I think Hermione has spent so much time thinking about these small interventions 
she raises her hand to Umbridge again and again. She's like, I can mm. picture a better defense against the dark arts class. And I'm going to try to do it here. Mm. Nope, not working here. I'm going to try to do it there. Like she is somebody who has dreams, has a vision of how the world should be, and then does things to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love thinking about Hermione as the dreamer, particularly because even in this chapter, there are so many ways in which she is diametrically opposed to Xenophilius, right? Like he literally says, you're not unintelligent, but you are limited, narrow, closed-minded. And actually what you've helped us see is the ways in which she isn't that. Like she is oriented around facts, but builds incredible visions around that firm foundation rather than Xenophilius, who maybe is like poking around in the dark and believing all sorts of things that aren't true and and might be characterized as a dreamer. But actually Hermione is the real dreamer of the chapter. I love that. Vanessa, we're continuing with our Pardes practice. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I get asked like, hey, you've been doing this podcast for, you know, five years. Do you feel like things are still changing when when you're reading the text? And I can honestly say every time that I talk to you, and particularly when we do a sacred practice together, it's not necessarily that the book comes alive, but like my life comes alive because we do the practice together. So I just want to say thank you. And I so appreciate that we get to do this together and that we have these practices to dive into the text together with. Me too. I think all friends should like talk about a practiced friendship. You and I have that. So the sentence I chose for this week's Pardes, Vanessa, is this. But all the stuff he said about other cloaks, and they're not exactly tenic nut. You know it's true. But all the stuff he said about other cloaks, and they're not exactly tenic nut. You know it's true. So the shot of this sentence, Vanessa, can you help us figure out the directed meaning? It's Ron talking and it's Xenophilius has left the room to like make some tea or whatever. And they're discussing whether or not it's true. And Hermione's like, no way is any of this true. And Ron is like, I don't know, Hermione, you know that this one thing is true. And then also it's like the three of them sort of brainstorming together whether or not this like myth of the Deathly Hallows is a real thing. Would you add anything to the intended meaning? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing I would add is is just a reminder how special the invisibility cloak is, right? It's, it's repointing us towards the fact that this is the actual Deathly Hallow, the third Deathly Hallow. So I think pointing to the specialness of the invisibility cloak as well. Vanessa, let's move to our second step, which is remes. And we're going to choose one word that we're going to track throughout all of the seven books, throughout the head canon. So let me read it once again, and, and you get to choose which word we're going to track. But all the stuff he said about other cloaks, and they're not exactly ten knut, you know it's true. Let's do knut. Mm. And of course, the debate can rage in the Facebook group and on the Discord about knut versus nut. But I'm sticking with knut for today. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> so, I mean, immediately this takes us back to the very, very beginning of Harry's entry into the wizarding world, right? We're thinking of Diagon Alley. We're thinking of his entrance into Gringotts and understanding the absurdity, frankly, of of wizarding money. And so there's an immediate pullback to kind of that threshold moment, that discovery of a new world. And also the fact that Harry discovers his wealth. I think that's one of the important things that I'm reminded of as as we track that word. How about you? In book three, when he is in Diagon Alley by himself for a week after he blows up Aunt Marge, Mm. 
it's the first time that he has money and is free to spend it. And he like wants to buy these like golden gobstones and he wants to buy the new broom and he doesn't. And so it's him learning how to spend money. There's also, obviously, it's interesting that Ron is the one bringing up money here, right? I was thinking the same, yes. Ron obviously carries his poverty quite heavily, is is completely understandable. And so he's the one bringing up money in this context. And I think that we see that again and again. I mean, even in the first interaction that Harry and Ron have, you know, Ron is like, ugh, I only have this sandwich. And, oh, I don't have money to buy candy from the trolley. Yeah. It also reminds me that Harry... Gave Fred and George the money mm. from the Four Wizard Tournament. Makes me think of the goblins in Gringotts Bank and the vital role that goblins are going to play in the fight against Voldemort and the way in which they're seen as sort of a battleground state between the warring factions in this in this battle that we're in. Ludo Bagman, right? And his yes. gambling and owing of Knut's. I'm also thinking specifically of Hermione when she gets the daily profit every day when she's trying to track the news in uh, book four and five, I think. She gives the owl that delivers it a knot. And so there's that like individual coin that's being handed over. So that reminds me of like information and the desire for knowledge. And paying for a free press. And pay, absolutely. And we're in a place where the free press is being printed right now. Well, at least it was until now. Yeah. Totally. The other place that Ariana just found is this amazing quote when Fudge comes to arrest Harry Potter for founding Dumbledore's army, the DA. And Dumbledore is like, no, 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 it's Dumbledore's army. It's my army. And Dumbledore Mm -hmm. says, instead, you get to arrest me. It's like losing a knut and finding a galleon, isn't it? Which... Later, it's going to be the opposite, right? Like Harry is the more valuable one. Dumbledore chooses to sacrifice his own life because he's like, you are young and you are more valuable than I am in my old age. But in this, what he's saying is to fudge, Dumbledore is more valuable than Harry. And so it's like within a year or within a different circumstance, Dumbledore is just seeing his value. I love that, Vanessa, because it connects to the different value that's being placed on the different Deathly Hallows. Mm. And so that sense of of misjudging where the actual treasure lies, right? The thing that actually has ultimate value. Ooh, good word choice. Thanks. I didn't know it would be this juicy. So let's think about Adrash. This is uh, perhaps a little teaching or a sermon that we might share based of this text as if we were reading it as a source for a moral teaching or, or life guidance. I'll read it once more. But all the stuff he said about other cloaks, and they're not exactly Tenaknut. You know it's true. I would talk about the evils of inherited wealth. Oh, say more. Because this is a priceless item that has been handed down to Harry because... It turns out that he's a descendant of the Peverells and like Hermione would never have access to anything like this. And she has to work so hard and she's considered shrill and annoying because she's pulling herself up from her bootstraps. And and even she has like dentist parents. Right. Like so she, it's not like she's poor, but like she has to work so much harder than someone like Harry. And I think that this just speaks to that any sense of meritocracy just like cannot thrive in a system in which wealth can be so easily inherited from one generation to another. And just that we are losing out on so much of the talent and inherent gifts that every single person in the world has to offer because of these really oppressive and spiritually deadening institutions. Mm. And so I would talk about just how we all lose 
we all lose when wealth is aggregated like this. Mm. You know, I think mine would be kind of financially related too. I just did an amazing training with an organization called Class Action that I learned so much about how class works and shapes my work specifically and how it shaped my life. And one of the things that was really helpful for me to think about was the ways in which our different class backgrounds give us different gifts when we're thinking about social justice work, when we're thinking about trying to change the world. And we can sometimes bring those gifts to a social justice movement. And it's in the fact that we bring those gifts together from multiple class backgrounds that a social justice movement can be really powerful. So I guess what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I think I would try and invite us all to think about what the gifts are that we bring from our particular class background. Because we see Ron here making a really smart analysis of being like, this is not something that you could find easily or cheaply. And so he's bringing that insight from, from his context in a way that we don't see the other two characters saying. Vanessa, we're coming to the end. And the final step of our Pardes practice is the sowed. It's the secret, the mysterious that might land either somewhere in the Boston area or somewhere in the Brooklyn area today. And we hope that we'll that we'll find it. So I'll read it once more. We'll just have a little moment of quiet and see if a sowed arrives. But all this stuff he said about other cloaks, and they're not exactly ten a knut. You know, it's true. I mean, the only thing that's occurring to me is that you can have had something for years and suddenly learn something about it and see it totally differently. They've used the cloak for pranks to like throw snow at Malfoy. And they've also (laughs) used it for like really noble things. And but they've never really thought to cherish it as completely rare. And I think that Sometimes you can just have something sort of click into place. Like it's not even really necessarily new information. It's just someone saying something in a slightly different way. And you're like, oh my God, I have that. Like right now, I don't appreciate, I'm so much healthier than I was three years ago. And I don't appreciate my health until I have a bad day. And then I'm like, oh my God, I used to feel like this all the time. And now one day a month, right? Like sometimes you just need one piece of information to sort of blow your whole perspective on something. Mm. What about you? The thing that really struck me, in I hope a little bit of a sode, is that we see Ron responding differently to Hermione here. He's still agreeing with her. It's not a disavowal of something she's saying. So we don't see like total disagreement between the two of them after this kind of sycophantic obsession with saying yes. He's like a yes man to Hermione for most of the, the previous few chapters. But there's an honesty in this reaction. It's not cloying. It's not desperately seeking her approval. And so there's some sort of repair, I think, in the relationship between Ron and Hermione at this point, which is so sweet to see. And I think it's about the fact that they are outside of just this intense kind of trio situation. They've entered a different world. They've encountered Xenophilius. I mean, they've encountered at least the shadow of Luna. And so that there's something here about how our relationships can flourish when they aren't isolated just in themselves, but are within a wider field of relationships and, and, and in a wider context. So that's something I'm I'm thinking about. Thanks for doing Pardes with me, Vanessa. Thank you. It's time for our voicemail. And today we're going to hear from Weston. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Redfin. Let's say for some reason you can't get back to Grimmauld Place. 
so you need to find a new home. If you're like me, you would go to Redfin. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes and sends you personalized recommendations, so finding the home that's perfect for you has never been easier. If you see something you like, just book a tour straight from the app. And when you're ready to buy, an experienced local Redfin agent can guide you through the whole process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents know how to get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put toward your next home. They even have a function where Trelawney will tell you whether or not she can see you in this house. Redfin. It's how Molly found the burrow. Download the Redfin app to get started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, Harry Potter and the Sacred Text team. Um, thank you for everything you do. I was listening to the podcast today about Xenophilius Lovegood and reality, and Casper said something about a friend of his who, when he, whenever he says something negative about himself, she'll say, don't say that about my friend. Um, and it immediately reminded me of my best friend who does the exact same thing to me. Um, and she's having brain surgery today, and I can't be there because there's a pandemic and we can't travel and we can't go to hospitals. And normally I would be there holding her hand and that's about all I could do in the situation, but it's what I normally would be able to do. Um, and I've always related to Hermione because she's the best. Um, but I, I, it just made me think of her today and think of all the times that she stands with Harry and is beside him and how, I remembered, um, I think it's in the third book, after he falls in the Dementors after the Quidditch game, um, she's described as having bloodshot eyes and having a squeaky voice. And I just know what that feeling of being so terrified for someone you love and feeling there's nothing you can do because Hermione always runs into the fire with Harry. The only time I can think of her, she runs the other way is the first book at the very end when she runs to go get help when she sends Harry on because he has to fight Voldemort. Um, so I wanted to say a blessing for Hermione because we can never bless her enough. But also I wanted to give out a blessing to anyone who loves someone they can't be with right now or that they can't hold their hand um, because it's a rough time for the world and with the pandemic and we can all use some love. So thank you.
Weston, something I'll say that Ariana has really called my attention to is that Hermione also often offers toast, right? Like she brings bread and, you know, she can't always run into the fire after people. She can't always do big things like sitting with someone on the day of surgery, which often feels like not enough, but is a lot. And I would just say that I am just so sure that your friend still feels loved by you. COVID is a complete interruption in our ability to love each other in the way that we want to. But I just want to say that I'm sure you're still Hermione and finding ways to bring toast even when you can't run in in the middle of the fire. Yeah, I hope the surgery went well. Thanks, Weston. Casper, it's now time to offer a blessing. And I'm, I'm going to go first because I'm following in Weston's footsteps and I am going to bless the wonderful Hermione Granger. I want to bless her for the moment where she looks at Harry and says, do you trust me? I think it's like never too rushed to ask consent and never too much of an emergency to not treat somebody else with humanity. And they are in the middle of a total crisis and she still treats Harry as a full human. And I just think it's gorgeous. So I want to bless Hermione for even in an emergency being a perfect person. What about you, Casper? Who would you like to bless? We talked a lot about Luna's mural, but I, I want to bless Luna again because I'm just getting all my Luna blessings in here. She is being kept in Malfoy Manor. She's away from her father. She's she's away from her home. And I'm just thinking about the way in which she might have conjured, or maybe it's just with her fingers in dust the same image of these five friends and that interlocking chain holding them together, that that vision, that dream of friendship, that dream of relationship, that she's holding that wherever she is. And I I guess for so many people, maybe folks had to leave their home during the fires in California. Maybe people have had to change where they're living, um, you know, for one reason or another during these months. And I, I guess I just hope we can all hold on to the visual things that remind us of who we are, what's important to us, the people that we love, even if we're in a different place. Because I think that's what Luna's doing while she's imprisoned. She's finding a way to hold on to those friends and they are coming for her. And make new ones. Oh, and make new ones. Yes. Mr. Ollivander. Mr. Ollivander. You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find listeners who are discussing the episodes in the Facebook common room. And you can, of course, join our local virtual groups and come and join the community of people who are supporting us on Patreon. We just did our first movie viewing, and it was so fun. We watched All the Boys I Love before, and Ariana trolled me the whole time. <laughs> of course, leave us a review on iTunes and send us a voicemail. She straight up produced me as I was hosting an event. She was like, Vanessa, do you want to tell this story now? (laughs) I've done this a hundred times. Go away. Next week, we'll be back with chapter 22, The Deathly Hallows. It is getting real, y'all. Like, we're moving towards the end of the book and I'm not ready. And we're going to read it through the theme of knowledge. This episode was produced by Not Sorry Productions. Our executive producer is goddess Ariana Nettleman. Our music is by Ivan Paisal and Nick Bolt and we're distributed by Acast. Thanks to Weston for this week's voicemail, to Julia Augie, Nikki Zoltan, Megan Kelly, and of course, Stephanie Purcell. And thanks to you. Thanks for listening. I'm so glad you do. To you. And you. You and, and you, you and you. And you. And you. I'd like to stay and taste my first champagne. <laughs> <laughs>